Thank you, Sarah. Are you good? How you doing? Yeah, do me a favor. Look at your neighbor. Tell them they look pretty today. Look, tell them they look pretty. Tell your second choice. Don't worry, you look pretty too, all right? Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Adam Harold. My incredible wife, Tanya, and I are, have the privilege of leading this, uh, this community called The Refuge together. We do it as a team. We are the lead servants here. And it's pretty stinking awesome to be a part of. And uh, thank you so much for allowing us to do it with you. Thank you for being here today. It is a gift that you're here with us this morning. Uh, it's not by accident. Uh, you know, some of you guys have had said some prayers this week that maybe, maybe God has an answer for that prayer during this, this message that, that I'll go through in just a moment. Uh, we believe it's not an accident that you're here and that it's a gift uh, to us that you would spend your Sunday with us. Uh, listen, we know we live in Maine and you don't get many nice Sundays like it is today. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. We've been in a series that we're calling The Hood, and uh, in The Hood, we're talking about words that end in hood. That's, that's all The Hood is. Uh, some of you thought we were going to Los Angeles for a second, but we're not. Um, the Hood is uh, it's words that end in hood, and uh, the first week we started on Mother's Day talking about motherhood and how motherhood, connect <coughs> motherhood the womb, connects us to God. And uh, second week, we talked about priesthood, where we baptized 15 people. 15. That's, uh, that was a record at the Refuge Church. So uh, it, was a, it was a mountaintop experience, and it was a great day. Last week, I talked about servanthood and how the greatest among you will be a servant, Jesus said. It's the greatest hood of them all. It's the, it's the best one servanthood and all it takes to be a servant is to find a need and fill it that's it that's all that's all it requires find a need and fill it hopefully you found some needs this week and hopefully you just didn't let it watch them and and, and let them go by but it, hopefully you were able to fill those needs and serve people because that's what jesus did and today um i'm i'm excited for the message i've already done it once in our first service obviously and no one threw Rotten Tomatoes at me in that service, so um, hopefully it was, it was decent. Um, but, but this last week, um, I went to the Google machine, and uh, I typed in words that end in hood. And I kid you not, that's a true story. I went to Google, and I typed in words that end in hood, and I discovered this amazing Scrabble website. So uh, don't challenge me in Scrabble, anybody. Uh, but... but Three, three hoods stood out to me, and I got to admit, the, the hood that we're going to talk about today wasn't even on my radar when I, when I said, let's do a series, call it The Hood, and talk about words that end in hood. And so the three words that I, t that I chose from the Scrabble website were uh, neighborhood, I thought that was a good one, we need to talk about neighborhoods, we'll, the other one was falsehood, and the third one was livelihood. And I went to my Instagram stories and I said to my friends, which one would you like to hear about? Now, just to let you know my personality a little bit behind the door, behind the curtain, so to speak. I had every intention to speak on the least popular one, uh, whichever one people didn't vote for, because I thought to myself, that's probably the one that they need to hear, the one that they don't want to hear. But I'm not doing that uh, because... I went and I counted the votes, and of course, Instagram does that for you, but then I factored in the Facebook votes, and on Tuesday, I was very, uh, I just felt led by the Spirit when, when, it, when God revealed to me that the, the one with the most votes was falsehood. Tuesday, as many of you have heard, in Uvalde, Texas, the second, I think it was the second largest mass shooting in, in U.S. history took place. And so on Tuesday, I watched the news and I count the votes for our message for today. And I thought to myself, yeah, this isn't by accident. You see, falsehood 
isn't just about true and false. Falsehood is about good and evil. Falsehood is about Satan versus Jesus. Falsehood is about things that are worldly versus things that are spiritual. And so, welcome to week four of the hood, falsehood. Falsehood means, as a, a, a definition of false, it means contrary to fact or contrary to the truth. Listen, if this word, this book is true, then everything that goes against this is falsehood. When I stand before you today and I talk about falsehood, I'm talking about everything that goes against God's word, everything that goes against him. Now, there's a difference between falsehood and, and every other hood that we'll talk about. You see, the difference is, is that falsehood is the only bad hood that we'll talk about. In God's word, anytime the word false appears, it is exclusively bad. It's never good. And the reason it's exclusively bad is because this word is true. This Bible is true. God's word is truth. We stand on God's word. Therefore, if we're going to address the evil that's in this world, we have to address it with the truth of God's word. It has to be. And this last Tuesday, a lot of people in the world were looking at their TV screens, looking at their computers, and saying, where is God in the midst of this evil? I want you to know this morning that God's word has an answer and as people ask the question, where is God in the midst of evil? Those of us that follow Jesus must have an answer. Because if we don't, people will say things like, see, I told you. I told you your God doesn't care about you. I told you your God doesn't care about this world. I told you evil is greater. And those are all lies from Satan. And this morning, I hope to show you that our God is victorious. <laughs> that on days like Tuesday, Satan wants to use them to convince you that falsehood wins, but it doesn't. Because Jesus died on the cross to bury our sin and our shame and get rid of evil once and for all. And it's time is running out. Evil has a time limit. And it's time is short. So when I think of falsehood or when I think of the word false in God's word, there's a scripture that comes to mind. Maybe it comes to mind for you. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Many of you may not know, but Exodus chapter 20 is where the Ten Commandments are found. So one of the Ten Commandments in verse 16 says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Some of you came to church this morning so you can hear one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not lie. <laughs> it's not one of the ten suggestions. It's one of the ten commandments. You shouldn't tell lies. Are you with me? Okay. You shouldn't lie. So falsehood, anything that goes against God's word is false. The issue of falsehood is so much deeper, so much deeper than, um, than just true, true and false. It's not a, it's not a, <laughs> I, re I remember going, like I'm, I'm picturing being in, in school, taking a test. How many of you are thankful for the true and false test? Come on somebody, right? <laughs> I got a 50-50 chance with getting this one right. 
A, B, C, and D, I'm screwed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so we're thankful for the true and false test. But I want you to know it's more, so much more than true and false. It's good and evil. It's Satan versus Jesus. And if Jesus is true, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus is true and we believe he is true, then I must address falsehood. Got to address it. God has won the battle. He is in control. He is still in control. He was victorious on Tuesday just as much as he's victorious today. He, was, he has overcome sin, death, and the grave so that we can overcome sin, death, and the grave. Satan wants you to believe that God, that God is out of control, that the things are out of control in this world. But I want you to know this morning, his word teaches us that he's in control, complete and total control. And if I'm honest, I'm preaching a little angry this morning. I'm angry at Satan because he has stolen and destroyed people that God loves, my God loves. And it's not fair. It's not fair. And I'm mad, but I'm also preaching from a place of victory this morning. And I hope that you can find some victory in this as well. John chapter 8, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Because anytime you address falsehood, you have to address, address it with truth. Anytime you address it with truth, you address it with God's words, not my words. So I'm going to do, I'm going to do a lot more reading than I normally do today. But that's because I'm reading God's words and I don't want you to hear my words. I want you to hear God's. And so if you want to follow along with today's notes, they're available in the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, we put them there for you so that you can follow right along. Of course, the best way to take notes is to write it down on a piece of paper so that you can go back and look at it. I love to find uh, notes from old sermons in my Bible. I just Anyway, I just like to write down notes. But John chapter 8, verse 31 through 47, it says this. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Now I'm going to stop right there. It's going to take me a while to read this, this scripture, by the way. Jews who believed him. So I want you to know this morning that it's not enough to believe in God. It's not enough. You have to do more. You have to trust. And, and Jesus goes on to, to tell us how we do that. But I want you to know this morning that this, this audience were Jews that believed. Continue reading. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that you will become free? Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son is the one that remains forever. It was the son that remained in the house forever, not the slave. The slave was just there temporarily. But the son lives there forever. Verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Who is the son that is speaking of? Jesus. If Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. Verse 37. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Ouch. You seek to kill me because you don't know this book. You seek to, to destroy me because you don't know what, this, what the truth of this word has to say. 
You seek to know me, to, to kill me because you don't know me. You believe in me, but you don't know me. I know that hits for somebody in here. Keep reading. Uh, where am I at? Verse 38. We'll, we'll continue. I probably read it already, but we'll read it again. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, <laughs> look at this. This, this. this jumped off the page at me. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. You know what, you know what these people that believe in Jesus were saying to Jesus? Our mom's not a whore. Because we only have one father. But you have two daddies? And they, like, they slap him in his face. They say to him, we're not born in sexual immorality like you are. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He was, sorry, he, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because for he is a liar and the father of lies. Who's the father of lies? Their father, who is Satan. The father of lies. I want you to know this morning that Satan is the father of falsehood. Everything false comes from him, verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. What a powerful passage. Jesus is addressing the falsehood of people that claim to be followers of Jesus, but they're not. Why? Because the word of God is not in them. I want you to know this morning, today's big idea. If I had one thing I want to get across to you this morning, this one thing, it would be this. That the, uh, the antidote for falsehood is abiding in God's word. The antidote, the solution for falsehood is abiding in this book. We must abide in God's word. To, to abide means to dwell. To dwell means to live. To live in this book, to dwell in this book, to live in God's word. Some of you, when I said the antidote to falsehood is abiding in God's word, some of you guys thought, I'm good. I, I, I do a good job at that. I abide in God's word on Sunday morning. <laughs> right? I, I abide in God's word on when I feel like it. <laughs> I abide in God's word sometimes. But we cannot, we absolutely cannot abide in his word when it's, consist when it's, when it's convenient to us. It's a constant 24-7 abiding in his word, knowing that it's true. 
He's telling these Jews that believed in him, you don't abide in my word. You don't stay faithful to my word. Are you with me? Did I lose you? I might have stomped on your toes, but hopefully you're still here. The world this past week asked questions. Like, how could an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, caring God allow that evil to take place in Texas? How in the world does a caring God do something like that? My personal favorite was uh, some friends of mine on Facebook, which I shared on my, on my Facebook wall. My, my personal favorite was um, thoughts and prayers do nothing for dead children. That was, that was my, my personal favorite. And I understand that there's some feelings there. That people feel that way. But as a pastor, I have to be willing to address that and to confront it because God's word is true. And I have to get out of my feelings when I feel like God isn't there and realize that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what does his word say? Well, it tells me when I abide in his word every day, I can have the answer to those questions. Some of you were scared to death to go to, church, to, to, go to work on Wednesday. Because you knew that there would be someone standing there saying, how could your God allow something like this to happen? But those that abided in God's word throughout the week, all the way leading up to that, said, I can't wait to get to Wednesday to tell my friend about the hope of Jesus Christ. Because his blood that he shed on the cross overcomes that evil. I told you I'm preaching from anger today. As followers of Jesus, he promises us that he has given us a life more abundantly. And if that is the case, then he has given us abundant truth. That means it's enough truth to share with those that have doubts. And I told the first service, I'll tell you this service. I can get up here and I can preach the paint off the walls and yah, yah, yell, scream, get you, get you shouting, get you clapping. I can do that. But the feeling of that moment will fade away. It's the truth of God's word that will sustain us, that we have to abide in, that we have to follow. Because the fact is, is John 12, verse 40, says this. Read it with me. It says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see their, with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. The fact is that Satan used Tuesday to give some people some stony hearts to harden some people's hearts to the truth of God's word. Some of you have friends, some of you are sitting here and your heart has started to become hard to God's word. I want you to know that you can resist that. That you can choose to, to believe the truth of God's word. But if you're gonna believe the truth of God's word, you better know God's word. A lot of times we, we say things like, I just can't believe the, the Bible, what the Bible says is true in some things. But you only know part of the verse. You only know part of it. You don't know God's word because you haven't abided in it. You have to abide in it to know it, to learn it, to live it, to love it. Because the truth will set you free. But it has to be based on God's word and not on feeling. <clears throat> For years, people have asked this same question, why does God allow evil to happen? 
If God is, is loving and caring and kind, why does he allow things to happen? Why does he allow bad things to happen? If I'm honest with you, many of you won't like the answer to that question. Many of you won't, won't love the answer to that question. Why? I want to give you three reasons why we have to learn to abide in God's word. Because we don't love the answer to those questions. We don't, we don't always love the answer. But when you abide in his word, watch. You remove your feelings. When you abide in his word, you remove your feelings from the text. Because sometimes I'll read a, a verse and in my flesh, in my flesh, I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that, God. But the Holy Spirit steps in and says, Adam, watch what happens when you obey this. Your life is so much more enjoyable. Your life is free. The truth will set you free. But I need the Holy Spirit to reveal that to me. But in order for the Holy Spirit to reveal it to me, I have to get out of my feelings. So abiding in God's word, we have to remove our feelings. When we abide in God's word, it requires us to see God's word as true. Number two, we have to see God's word as true. We have to get out of our feelings, number one. We have to understand it is true, number two. So what happens when I say God's word is absolute truth? When I establish that in my life, listen, my mom and dad, one of the first things that they taught me was that God's word is absolutely positively true, that I can trust it, that I can stand on it, that I can believe it. Because it's a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And when it illuminates my way, I walk in it and I will be free. But I have to establish it as truth. Abiding in God's word makes you get out of your feelings. Abiding in God's word, you have to acknowledge it as truth. And number three, abiding in God's word requires us to know God's word. We have to know it. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. When we hide it in our hearts, it becomes a weapon. A weapon against what? A weapon against our desires. Against our desires. All of a sudden, I start quoting scripture and I realize that I can choose God's word and God's truth over my feelings. But we have to establish it as truth. The antidote to falsehood is abiding in God's word. But why must we abide in God's word? Because evil exists. Because falsehood exists. Because there are lies about God out there that we have to know the truth about. So we have to abide in his truth so that we can know how to combat against the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why does God allow bad things to happen, period? So if we're going to address evil, if we're going to address the evil in this world, then we have to look at th two questions about evil, I believe. The first question is we have to ask ourselves, where does evil come from? Where does evil come from? Where, wh where does it come from? And, and the second thing that we have to ask is, where does the evil inside of me come from? You see, there's two different evils. There's evil in this world that is beyond our control. And there's evil that lives inside of me that is in my control. And I have to address them both. So where does evil come from? The Bible has an answer for that. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12 through 19. 
Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19. Ezekiel's writing, the prophet Ezekiel is writing about, um, about Satan. And um, it says, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him. So he's addressing the king of Tyre, but he's, what he's saying is about the devil. Listen to what he says in verse 12. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. This is what Ezekiel is saying about Satan. He was perfect in beauty. <clears throat> you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. So what was, what, what, how did Satan ap- appear in the garden of Eden in the form of a what? Serpent, right? He was in the, so Satan was in the garden of Eden. This is what Ezekiel is talking about. He's, this is one, re, one way that we know that he's addressing Satan. Verse 13, I'll read it again. You were in Eden, garden of God. Every precious stone was covering sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, carbuncle can we just establish for a minute that carbuncle is a precious stone by the way um before service i was like i'm gonna google carbuncle i wonder what that stone looks like note to self this is totally free i'm not charging extra for this do not just google carbuncle okay you nurses in the room you understand that you doctors in the room you understand that Make sure you Google carbuncle stone, okay? <laughs> you don't want a carbuncle, but you do want a carbuncle stone, all right? So that was totally free. Do not, I'm not charging anybody for that. Emerald and carbuncle and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed guardian cherub. I place you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire, and you walked. You were blameless in your ways. This is he's talking about Satan of all people. You were blameless in your ways. From the day that you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. I want you to know this morning that Satan was a beautiful angel with every all intents and purposes to be to, to reign as the guardian of all angels. He was created as a beautiful person, as a beautiful angel that was there. He had God's intent for Satan was not what he has become. God's intent for some of you has not been what you have become. He was meant to be perfect. He was meant to be beautiful. But what happened? Verse 16, in the abundance of your trade. You know what that phrase means? In the abundance of your trade? It means how good you were. Because you were so talented, because of his trade, he was the best of what he did. He had abundance in his trade. Do you understand? Are you with me? In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as profane thing from the mountain of God and destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of of your splendor. Wow. Wow. For the sake of your splendor. Listen, some of you in this room are super smart. You're super wise, but you use it for your splendor and not God's. It's exactly what Satan did. 
I cast you to the ground. I expose you before kings to feast their eyes on you by the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade. You profaned your sanctuary, so I brought fire out from the midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. They're appalled at you. When you look at evil and you know God, you're appalled at evil. But Satan is convincing us to look at evil and see God and not see him. When you look at evil, you should be appalled. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. When you really know him, you're appalled at his evilness. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, evil has a time limit. Satan knows his time is ticking. Look at your neighbor and say, time is ticking. Time is ticking. Pastor Adam, why? Why would God create an enemy for himself? I'm sorry, I thought, I, thought I, didn't, I didn't think he created an enemy for himself. I thought he created someone that was beautiful. But why would he allow Satan to, to become proud and make it about him so that he could be his evil, his enemy? Why would he allow this to happen? Well, I want to give you my, my theory this morning. And uh, my theory is that anytime we have an enemy so that we can win, anytime we have a rival so that we can dominate that rivalry, so that we can win, and you see, God allows Satan to happen in our, or allow evil to happen in our lives so that he can show us that we can be victorious. I was thinking about this uh, this morning as I was studying this, this message to, to, to preach this morning. And, and, I, and I was thinking about it. And I was thinking about this, this idea of, of why God would allow evil to take place and why he allows a choice. Why, why, like, why does he, and, and it led me to this, this, this thought about free will and why God doesn't just create us to follow him and create us to be, to be good and, and, and just allow everything to be peaches and butterflies and rainbows and whatever it is that makes us feel good, flowers, everything, chocolates. <laughs> whatever makes you feel good. Why is it that we just can't feel good all the time? And then it dawned on me. You know what we call kids that just get everything handed to them? that just get everything handed to them without making, having to make a right choice, right? That just, that just get spoiled all the time. We call them entitled brats, don't we? God didn't want to make a bunch of entitled brats. He wanted us to choose right and wrong. And in order for that to happen, evil had to take place. But it had to happen so that he could be victorious. Satan wants us to be convinced that when we look at days like Tuesday, that evil won. But the question is, is our hope in this life or is it in eternity? Because if I look to eternity for my hope, then I see a bunch of babies that are with Jesus this morning. I don't want to get into the age of accountability and all that stuff. That's a whole nother theological discussion. But I'm going to claim this morning that those nine and 10 year olds are in the presence of Jesus this morning. Because our hope isn't in this life. Our hope is in eternity. Time is ticking for Satan. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12 says, therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in, in great wrath because 
he knows that his time is short. His time is short. We have to address this last question. Where did evil come from? Number one, it came from Satan. But number two, we have to address the second question, where does evil inside of me come from? For that, I want to turn to James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. It says this, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Hallelujah. There's someone in this world that evil doesn't touch. His name is Jesus. Because Jesus has dominion over all things evil. And he cannot be tempted. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? His own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when it's fully grown, brings forth death. The evil inside of us is birthed when desire is conceived. You want to know where your sin comes from? Your desire. Your desires are the author of your sin. It's what you want. I thank God that he's a God that allows me to have my desires but it's when I align my desires by abiding in his word and I align my desire with his desires that I'm good. But if I align with my desires with the world's desires or with someone else's desire other than mine, then I'm in trouble. I have to abide in his word. Because my desire, when it's not submitted to God, will yield sin in my life. But I have great news for you. You see, the desires, our desires, you know where they come from? Where do our desires come from? They come from our heart, right? And so, so my heart, in my heart, is where, where my desires come. So, so then, how is it that I make sure that my desires align with God's word? It's not, it's not that I have to change my heart. You can't change your heart. It's that I need a whole new heart. You see, I need a heart transplant I need God to give me a new heart, Ezekiel chapter 20, 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take out that rock in your, in your, your, your heart and I'm going to make it one that beats, pumps blood, pumps life, pumps truth. And I want you to know this morning that you can have a fresh start and all it begins with is a new heart. And you know it's from God when it rhymes. Start and heart, come on. You can have a transformed heart today, a new one. Everything that happens, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, everything that happens, happens for the glory of God. And we know that those who love God, 
all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. My dad used to say, all means all and that's all it means. All means all, that's all it means. So, why does evil happen? For God to get glory? We have to turn it to him. We don't turn the evil to him. We look to him and we see his goodness. We don't blame him. We look to him and we see his glory. You see, that's why I preach God's word, number one. But that's why I'm, I'm not afraid to address things that happen on Tuesday. Because when we address things that happen on Tuesday, we come into church on Sunday and God uses that terrible, rotten, awful, evil news to change your heart. And God gets glory in it. And I will not allow Satan to get glory. Stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I got one more verse I want to read for you. One more passage. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. It says this. It says, so we do not lose heart. Some of you lost heart on Tuesday. The world lost heart on Tuesday. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self was wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. How is our inner self renewed day by day? By abiding in his word. Verse 17, for the light momentary affliction is preparing for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So this morning, the question for you is, where is your hope? Is it in this world or is it in eternity? Where are your desires? I want to pray with you. But before I do, I think we, I think, I think a message like this we have to address. Where is my heart? Where is my heart? Is it what's what's the what's the condition of my heart? As the condition of my heart started to get to get hard a little bit, with with all the evil that's going on in this world, I want you to know that I completely understand if your heart has started to become callous. I understand it, but because I abide in His Word, I know it's possible for your heart to remain soft, for your heart to remain ready for your heart to remain tender. So, maybe your heart's stone. Maybe it's hardened and you realize this morning that you need a heart transplant. Can I ask you a question? With every head bowed, every eye closed, just real quick. How many of you say, Pastor Adam, my, my heart is hard right now. It's stony. Thank you, I see it. Anybody else? Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see it. Now, I don't, I don't normally get, get this personal, but I, I know, and I, I notice it in the first service. I notice it in this service. That... As the pastor of this church, I'm, I'm seeing people that know Jesus. 
raise their hand saying my heart is stoned. I want you to know because you know Jesus, because you know Jesus, your heart has started just to become callous. And so we need to pray that God would remain, that we would abide in God's word. We need to pray that he would keep our hearts from becoming hard. But I thank God that I know you well enough to know that every person that just raised their hand is saved. You know Jesus. It's okay. So this, this, in this service, I'm going to do something different than I did last service. And I'm going to lead every one of us in a prayer. And I want you to say it with me. And I want you to believe it. Do everything you can to believe it. It's not a salvation prayer. But it's a prayer that our hearts would be, would be towards God's word. That it would be, that we would abide in his word and that he would soften our hearts and help them stay pure. So everyone, say this prayer with me. Say, God, I need you in my life and I need your word. I believe that your word is true. I promise I will do everything I can to live by your word, to make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I promise I will do everything I can to walk in your ways, to trust you, to love you more every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Give Jesus some praise this morning. Come on. <laughs> Refuge Church, I want you to know it's going to be okay. Not because I said it's going to be okay, but because God said it's going to be okay. Things aren't falling apart. Things are falling into place. We trust him. We don't trust man. We trust him and we give him all the glory. Let's sing a song together. Come on.